if you're worried about uh, if you're worried about seeing your life fall apart, if you think that things are falling apart, let me just give you this verse. Colossians chapter one verse seventeen says, "And he is before all things." Talking about Jesus, okay? Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. If you're worried about your life falling apart, can I encourage you saying that your life is held in Jesus and all things are held together in Him. All things are held together in Him. Amen? I'm telling you what I encourage myself with. Because when I come to church on a Sunday, I'm worried about a lot of things, you know. I'm worried about the electricity going. I'm worried about the worship team, you know, playing the right songs. I'm, I'm worried about a lot of things. This is something that I have to encourage myself, that it is in Him all things are held together. My life is held together because I'm in Him. Your career is held together because your career is in Him. All things are held together in Him. Amen. Are you confident that you're in Him? Then your life is sorted. Your life is held together. Even if it looks like it's falling apart, it will only look, it will be held together. It is held together by the power of His Word. Amen. Can you believe that? Yes, awesome. Awesome. How many of you guys are enjoying praying? You know, we've, we've been continuously praying for the last eight weeks, I, I believe, yeah? And how many of you are enjoying praying? Yeah? Even if you're not, you can say that in faith, I'm enjoying praying. It's, 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 good. it's good to build your faith muscles. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, I wish, I wish prayer was effortless. <laughs> I wish it isn't. Prayer is not effortless. I wish it was, but it isn't. But can I say this? Even though prayer is not effortless, prayer leads us to an effortless lifestyle. Prayer leads us to an effortless lifestyle. Now, what do I mean by an effortless life or an effortless lifestyle? I don't mean that you will not do any effort. I don't mean that you will be sleeping all day on your bed doing nothing. I don't mean that. But what I'm saying is that the efforts that you make, you will not be the one experiencing the stress of it. It will be stress-free life. An effortless life is stress-free life. What is an effortless life? Stress-free life. Stress-free life. Stress-free life. Absolutely stress-free. You know? So you're pushing your boundaries, right? And it's absolutely effortless. Why? Because you're not the one who's taking the stress of it. So prayer can lead you to absolute stress-free restful life absolute stress-free restful life hebrews chapter 4 verse 11 says make every effort to enter into the rest make every effort in to enter into rest it's, it's such a conflicting oxymoron statement right that you make every effort to enter into rest that is what prayer is you make every effort in prayer so that once you start doing things, it is effortless. You, you operate from a place of rest, from a place of knowing that God takes care of you, God loves you, God is mindful of you, He knows everything that is going on and everything is held together in Him. But it takes effort. It takes effort in prayer to reach that place of rest. It takes an effort uh, in prayer to reach to that awareness that, man, God loves me. God loves me. He is mindful of me. Right? So prayer is, there is a certain labor that is there in prayer that you and me have to make. Yeah? But when you make that labor, when you make that investment in prayer, it's effortless. Life is effortless. Life is effortless. Have you seen an aeroplane? How many of you have been 
on an airplane, right? When an airplane takes off, the gravity is trying to pull it down, right? So that's why if you throw any things up, what does it happen? What, what happens? It comes down, right? That's why Newton, he came up with the whole law of gravity because an apple fell on him. Somebody said, what, what if he was in Kerala and a coconut fell on him? You know. So the law of gravity pulls everything, pulls everything down, right? We, there's a law of gravity that's working that pulls everything down. So when an aeroplane is trying to take off, it has to fight this law of gravity. Okay, why? Because the job of gravity is to pull you down. The job of gravity is to keep you grounded. I'll keep you humble. The job of gravity is to pull you down. That's the job of gravity. But the aeroplane is designed to fly. Are you, are you listening to this, okay? An aeroplane is designed to fly. But since the job of gravity is to pull the aeroplane down, the aeroplane has to fight this gravity by some momentum, right? And then take off. Right? But then as it starts flying and goes higher and higher, the grip of gravity that is on the aeroplane reduces. It just reduces. There's, there's, a, there's a point at 30,000 feet, gravity has no hold over the aeroplane. Then the aeroplane decides when it has to land. Yeah? In prayer, in prayer, right? There is a place in prayer that you can go so high that nothing has hold over your life. Nothing can hold you back. And that is what I'm saying, that in prayer you can reach a certain level where everything in your life is effortless. Effortless. Now when people look from the outside, people are like, how? How can you do so many things? How can you handle so many businesses? How can you do all of this, this and this and this and this and somehow things are just done? Effortless living. Effortless living. I am designed for effortless living. I am designed for restful living. Stress-free. Absolutely stress-free. You and me are designed to soar. Right? So, I want to... This is what I'm building up, but I want to show you something more so that I can encourage you that prayer is good. Guys, prayer is good and prayer is a privilege. Every minute that you spend in prayer, my goodness, you're accelerating towards your destiny. Okay? Prayer is not a waste of time. I'm telling you, you, you're coming to church is not a waste of time. Every time, every energy, every money that you invest for these things, for ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer, it is good for you. Say, it's good for me. It's good for me. It's more precious than gold and silver. Yeah? Okay, let me show you that verse, Second Peter chapter 1. Alvin almost stole my message. But anyways, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Second Peter His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Okay, let's go back. I just want to stay on that verse. So, what has given you access to all things? What has given you access? How does it say? How does it begin? His divine power. So God's divine power has given you access to all things. Say with me. All things. All things mean? All things. All things that pertain to life and godliness. So God's power is working in your life and has given you access to all things. All things that pertains to life and godliness. So who, 
who made that accessible for you who made that available for you it is god and it is god's power that has given you all things pertaining to life and godliness but how do you access it through the knowledge of him say with me through the knowledge of him through the knowledge of him so the more you know god you walk in much more power and authority the more you know god you walk in you know you walk in the confidence of being a son and daughter of of your father understand this through the knowledge of him knowledge of him is what is going to help you access these things that are already made accessible for you through the knowledge of him why understand this as my phone uh yeah my phone is here do you know who made the phone this is this is oh yeah apple apple made the phone apple is a creator of this phone the creator knows better of the product it creates than the product itself you're not hearing this the creator knows the product than the product itself you think you know yourself you think you know your strengths and weaknesses oh my goodness you are in for a surprise you have no idea only the creator knows who you are so when you know the creator you know who you are when you know the creator you know what he has already blessed you with when you know the creator you know what he what you already possess you already have so his divine power has granted to us all things that pertains to life and godliness you have everything that is needed to live a life of godliness on this earth you have been blessed with everything it's just that i just don't know how to access it i have been blessed with everything it's like somebody who has been blessed with 100 crore rupees in their bank account but they have no clue on how to access it they have no clue how to withdraw it what's the point of having money in the account when you can't withdraw it when you don't have your debit card when you don't have your checkbook when you don't have your kyc documents know your customer what's the point of being blessed if you have no idea how to withdraw it so it's the divine power of god that has blessed you it's it's not our work it's definitely not my holiness it's definitely not my prayer it's the divine power of god that has given me all things but how do i make a withdrawal from that account is by knowing him is by knowing him the reason why we pray is when you know god when you're knowing god prayer is intimacy there's nothing else the essence of prayer is intimacy into me lord i let you see prayer is intimacy so every time we pray you open your heart and you allow god to have a glimpse into your heart he allows you to have a glimpse into his heart and every time you pray you get to know him you get to know yourself you get to know who you are in christ see all of us know who we are in adam all that you know of yourself is who you are in adam i have anger issues i have lust issues i have that issues all 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 issues these issues this identity that we have formed out of issues is an identity that we have from adam but do you know who you are in christ to know who you are in christ you have to know christ because christ is the exact replica the the prototype from which whom you see and oh that's who i am so when jesus came he did not just come to reveal the father to you he also came to reveal who you are hey guys why are you behaving like animals i'll show you what it means to be humans so when you know god when you know god you know yourself and you know what god has in store for you not in the coming future but right now right now 
can I say the, the next thing that you need is not another blessing because you're already blessed. The thing that you need is a revelation of what God has blessed you with right now. I'm just saying, just imagine with me if, just imagine with me, okay? If God could just open your eyes and you see that everything that you were praying for was already with you, how would you feel? The reason why you fought with that person, the reason why you were jealous, the reason why you were backbiting, all the reasons, right, you did all of that. But the answer to the prayer that you were actually genuinely seeking was always there right beside you. How would you feel? I didn't have to do that. We'll feel so silly. Ridiculously stupid. <laughs> and I think that's why when we get to heaven, we'll be crying. Oh Lord, <laughs> what kind of a life did I live? You had blessed me so much. So prayer is knowing God because as you know God, you know yourself. As you open your heart, he opens his heart. You get a glimpse into his heart. Your desires, I'll, I'll get back to this later also, okay? But listen to this. Your desires becomes his desires and his desires becomes your desires. So prayer is work. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't want to give you any wrong illusion. Prayer is effort. And it requires your mind to be intentionally focused. Just, just imagine with me. Alvin is getting married, okay? So let's use him. Alvin, Alvin, Alvin gets married, right? He, he decides with new every Tuesday we'll go out on a date, husband and wife. So the first Tuesday comes, they go on a date. Man, they have a blast. Alvin is so happy, so excited. He's looking for the next Tuesday. But months pass by, that it becomes more of a ritualistic thing than really putting an intention. Now Alvin is thinking, oh man, how do, how do I get out of this? <laughs> but, but I've told her, okay, so let's go. Now Alvin, he sits... With new, right? I really hope you're marrying her, okay? <laughs> Otherwise, we'll have to cut this part later. <laughs> new, we love you. So just imagine with me. Alvin sits with his wife. He's got so used to speaking a certain way He's got so used to behaving a certain way that it could be possible that he's saying all the right words. It could be possible that he's making all the right gestures, but his mind is not in it. Now, how would that make you feel if you were at the other end? You know that this person is saying the right stuff, but his mind is not here. How would that make you feel? You'd be like, what are you doing here? Get lost. Go to your office. Why are you spending time with me? Right? So there, there is a place, and I'm, and I'm telling you as a warning and also as an encouragement, that there's a place that when you start praying over a period of time, that it can become so habitual that you might be saying the right words, you might, your gesture and the posture might be right, but your mind is not in it. Your mind is not in it. That's why I'm saying prayer requires, it's, it's work. Because you have to get your mind back to focus and be like, oh, I got distracted, but let me come back. It's okay to get distracted, but bringing back your mind to that focus of, Lord, I love you. Lord, I want to thank you. Engaging your mind is hard in prayer. But that is what is going to bring you deliverance. Engaging your mind. So, see, pr I love praying in the Spirit, okay? Because while I'm praying in the Spirit, while I'm praying in tongues, my mind is unfruitful. So I can do multiple things. I can code, I can do business, I can do bank transactions, I can do all of that while I'm praying in the Spirit. 
But what I'm trying to say is you also need a time dedicated in your daily routine where you are not just praying in the spirit, but you're also engaging your mind. Because what you're telling God is, God, you're important to me and I honor you. I put my complete intention to focus on you and to say, look into my life. Here I am. That takes hard work. That takes absolute hard work. One, you have to take out time. Second, you have to be intentional about getting your mind back in the game. But you're not just caught up in the habit of doing it, but you're being intentional. But can I say this? Every time you do that, every time you're intentional, or bringing your focus back, bringing your attention back, and praying not just in the spirit, but praying with your mind, you will experience deliverance. Prayer is hard. That's why prayer is hard. The reason why prayer is hard is because our mind is so distracted. We do want to take off, but there's something that's pulling us back. There's something that is distracting us. So we get distracted, we bring back our focus. We get distracted, we bring up back our focus. That's fine. But there's a, there's a point in prayer that you can completely be, you know, completely be taken off, completely in flight where gravity has no hold over you. Where your mind is free. I want to be there in prayer. I've experienced that in prayer at times. Not every day, but at times I have. And it's amazing. It's just amazing. It's just amazing to know that nothing has hold over your life. No deadlines, nothing. It's just, you just know, me and God, man, this is amazing. The world fades away. I used to say a dialogue to Betty, you know, when we were dating. When I look into your eyes, everything else fades away. <laughs> so there is something that is pulling us back okay and I want to show you from the scriptures what is that that is pulling us back so that we can fight against it right we can fight against it and overcome it are you with me okay you need to know what is the gravity that's pulling you back what is stopping you what is distracting your mind from bringing back your attention you need to know that right read the next verse verse 4 By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Say with me, his precious. I can't hear you. His precious and very great promises. See, he could have just said he has granted to us his promises. No. He uses those adjectives very intentionally. He says, his precious. Who's precious? God's precious. What The promises that God has given you is precious to God. It's precious to God. Not precious to the billionaire that's out there. Precious to God. What God has given you is his precious and very great promises. It's like, Extremely great, 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 great promises. He's given you his promises. Why? So that, say with me, so that, through them, through what? Through promises, okay? So that through the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Do you know what that means? You become partakers of the divine nature. See, you know what the devil did to Adam and Eve was, if you eat from this tree, not an apple tree, if you eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall become like God. But here, Peter is saying, if you partake, you can partake from the divine nature by just through, by just establishing yourself in the promises. By just receiving the promises, you can partake of the divine nature. Isn't that amazing? What Adam and Eve earned for, were yearning for in the garden, you're getting it as a promise in Jesus. That 
through them you may become partakers of the divine nature now he defines what the divine nature is okay definition of divine nature having escaped from the world does does it say that no. having escaped from the corruption that is in the world you're not meant to escape the world i'm just saying fyi we don't have to escape the world oh i will always be sinful why because i'm in a sinful world no anyone who's born of god cannot sin so my sinful habits and attitudes can stop right now because i have this promise having escaped from the corruption that is in the world i don't have to escape the world to be not corrupted i don't have to escape the world but what what i am escaping from escaping from the corruption what is corruption corruption is not just talking about bribe okay corruption is decay that leads to death so having escaped from the decay that leads to death that is in the world why is there in the world because of sinful desire say with me sinful desire do you know what is holding you back when you pray do you know what is distracting you while you pray sinful desire sinful desire the reason why people die the reason why decay happens you know you look at this wood after 15 years it is going to decay the reason why decay happens is because of sinful desire sinful desires are so powerful that they are the cause of decay can you imagine paul says in romans through one man sin came and death came to all men but where did that one sin come from from desire i'll show you come with me genesis chapter 3 verse 6 genesis chapter 3 verse 6 so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise what was her desire that if she partakes from it she will become wise okay that's the desire she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he it how did the first sin happen desire desire to be wise desire to be like god i'm asking you, how how is that desire wrong desire to be wise and desire to be wrong how is that wrong i'll show you once more okay i'm just just banking on this again james chapter 1 verse 14 James chapter 1 James chapter 1 was 14 and 15 but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire okay let's can can we go up verse 13 let no one say when he is tempted i am being tempted by god for god cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one god doesn't tempt you then what is the temptation that i'm facing how is that temptation happening it is it is a product of your own desire it's your own desire that's tempting you verse th- verse 14 says but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death the seed of sin is desire the seed of sin is let me be, let me be more specific sinful desire if you can learn how to abort that sinful desire you can learn to live in victory at all times if you can learn to abort sinful desire sin cannot be conceived and if sin cannot be conceived you will not experience decay 
sinful desire is the root cause of all sin. But I want to say that not desires in essence are not bad. Desires are powerful. And it's, it's a God-given gift. God has given us desires. So not all desires are sinful. Okay? So you have to understand how do you, how do you, how do you understand, how do you discern which one is a sinful desire? But before I tell you that, let me tell you the desires are powerful. Okay? Your desires are powerful. Jesus said, whatever you desire, if you believe, you shall have it. So desires are powerful. God wants you to desire. Delight in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. God wants you to desire. Desire is a God-given ability. A person who stops desiring, a person who stops dreaming is dead. You take the ability of dreaming from a person, you're killing that person. When a person stops dreaming, he's, he's going towards death. That's why a lot of retired people, they're looking forward to die, sadly. Why? Because they have no purpose. The ability to dream has been lost. Now they're just trying to survive. Desires are powerful. Dreams are powerful. Every dream that you have, not everything is sinful. It could be from God. We have good desires. You know, last week I was telling you about how we got the house, right? How we got the house by faith. But you don't know the backstory. The backstory is in 2019, Betty would take pictures of, you know, how she wanted to decorate the house. She would take pictures of cupboards. She would take pictures of the lights that she wants. And she would show me, you know, this is what we can have. This is what we can have. And I would be like, we have no money. I don't know what she's talking about. But it was a desire that she had, right? And she would take pictures and she would keep. And, you know, it is out of that desire that we had, we had the ability to believe in God for a house. And we got it in 2020. Your desires can be prayers. They're so powerful that it can be prayers. Your desires. So it doesn't mean, a Christian life doesn't mean that you shouldn't have any desires you have to discern what a sinful desire is let me tell you a story you know when we got the house we were looking for fridge and me and betty were sure what kind of fridge that we wanted we always wanted a double door fridge because the first time we bought our fridge it was a small one and we told ourselves we want a double door fridge why we just want it not our need, we just want it. We just wanted it. So when we told our folks about it, our folks were very upset. Why do you need it? We don't need it. We just want it. We have a God who goes beyond our needs. You have to get out of this need mindset. Only if it is my need, God will give me. God is a lavish giver. Do you know that if you, if you can withdraw from your heavenly account, you're not going to make a dent You know, this mindset of, oh, why, why did you invest so much? You know, think about the poor people in wherever. My guys, you think about the poor people. See, when, when Judas, right, I'm telling you something very powerful, okay? Not in the script. <laughs> the sinful woman, she comes to Jesus and she breaks open an alabaster jar. It's very precious years worth of wages, right? The guy, Judas, he says, huh, why did she do this? I wish the, this thing was sold and, you know, given to the poor. Not that he was concerned about the poor. So whoever tells you, you know, you should not use your money like this, you should give it to the poor, not because they are concerned about the poor, they're just jealous. They're just jealous. You know, how, how can that guy drive such an expensive car? Do you have a cheap laptop? Give it to the poor. You know, we are always like, I'm just saying, you know, we have such a lack mindset and we cannot believe that the God who supplies them abundantly, he can do that for us too. 
God is a God of abundance. You know, you, I am challenging you, okay? I, I really want to challenge you. Let's do scripture reading and you give me verses on how much the Bible talks about frugality. I want to challenge you. And I will show you verses how much the Bible talks about abundance living. And we'll see who wins. Bible does not, really does not uh, give a lot of credit to frugal living. Frugality. Abraham was so rich. I know I'm going off topic. Abraham was so rich that he was so rich that nations were scared of him. Isaac was so rich that the Philistines came. Isaac, can you move outside our territory because you are too much for us. Abundance is our portion. You know, I was reading Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 begins by, you know, the Lord will bless you in your coming and your going. You are blessed in your city. You are blessed in your village. You know, your fruit is blessed. Your everything, your cattle, your dog, everything is blessed. It ends with, you will abound in prosperity. Meaning, in prosperity, you will be prosperous. You, you guys don't like the word prosperity. Let me show you something. Genesis chapter 26, okay? If you don't like the word prosperity, you should tear this page out of your Bibles, okay? Genesis chapter 26. Um, okay, verse 12 and verse 13. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. Okay? Look at the next verse. And the man became rich. The word is prosperous. And the man became prosperous. Okay? And gained more and more until he became very prosperous. Prosperity is in the Bible. I can't help it. Now, just because some people have really taken to the extreme and have, you know, skewed it to manipulate people for money doesn't negate the fact that the Bible talks about prosperity. And biblical prosperity is not just financial prosperity. It has financial prosperity, but it is just one aspect. Biblical, in, in biblical prosperity, the least currency is money. The highest form of currency is relationship. Did you know that? Beloved, I pray that you will prosper as your soul prospers. Well, what's the point of having $10 billion in your account if you can't experience soul prosperity? If there's no peace, if there's no joy, if there's no satisfaction, if there's no contentment. Biblical prosperity is prosperity in all aspects. If I was there, I would have said amen to that. <laughs> Biblical prosperity is prosperity in your spiritual life, in your emotional life, in your physical life, in your relationships, and your finances. Do you know there are so many people who are poor, but they have money. They have a lot of money, but they are poor. We have to change our definition of what prosperity is. Prosperity is not just having things. Prosperity is knowing God. Knowing God. Christianity has to be attractive. Man, there's something weird about this guy. He's always extremely happy. I don't know why. We have to tell them prosperity is not finances. Prosperity is knowing God. So not every desire... I'm coming back. Not every desire is bad. You have to know which desires are sinful and is holding you back so that you can partake from the divine nature that God has promised you. Okay? So how do you know which desires are sinful? Are you ready? How do you know? Let's see Genesis chapter 3. Come with me. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the garden that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. When you compare this conversation, okay, with what God actually said, Okay, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat, say with me, surely. Oh, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What was the question the devil asked? Did God tell you that you shall not eat of any tree? Well, what did God say? You can eat of every tree. You see the difference? God said you can eat of any tree, every tree. And the devil is saying, hey, didn't God not give you the permission not to eat any from any tree? And look at what Eve responds. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Did God say that? Did God say if you touch, you'll die? You know what's a sinful desire? A sinful desire happens when you stop believing that God is abundant and he is good. Because when, when, if the devil can steal from you that God is abundant, steal that word from you that God is abundant, in your lack, he can influence you to have a sinful desire. Sinful desire is having a desire from a place of lack and believing that God is not enough for you. That God is not good. Sinful desire is any desire that you have when you stop believing that God is good. God said, you shall eat of any tree. Every tree, these thousands of trees that you see, you can eat from any tree. Just one tree, don't eat. And the devil is coming to steal that word. Steal that word from Adam and Eve. Hey, did God didn't God say that you can't eat from any tree? He's trying to bring them, bring, bring shame and guilt and condemnation. And she says, no, that's not what he said. He said, you can't touch it. Even if you touch, you shall die. The limitations that we put on God's goodness is what causes us to have sinful desires. Sinful desires is not just having things, you know, desiring for things and, oh, I need this and that. and That's not sinful desire. Sinful desire is any desire that comes from a place of not believing that God is good. Luke chapter 4. Jesus is being tempted by the devil, right? What's the temptation? If you are the son of God, turn the stone into bread. What's the temptation there? He just received, Jesus just received a word from the Father. He just received a word while he was being baptized. What's the word? You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And here the devil is asking, are you sure you are the son of God? Are you sure that God is that good to call you his son? Because if you can doubt God's goodness, you will stop believing Him. If He can make you doubt God's goodness, you will stop believing Him. And from that place of unbelief, whatever desire it is, whatever, even your desire to pray, from that place is a sinful desire which will always hold you back. Which will not let you take off and partake from the divine nature for which Christ died for. 
Are you getting this? This is so powerful. Christ died so that you can have the divine nature of God. Not when you go to heaven. Right here. Right now. You can have the divine nature of God. Divine nature of God. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.27 says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But what is stopping us from experiencing that is sinful desire that entangles us back, that pulls us back, that pulls us back. In, 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 in your prayers, what is distracting you is somewhere sinful desire and that sinful desire comes from a place where God is, God is good but not that good. That's a sinful desire. And this desire conceives sin. And when sin grows, it leads to death. So what's the antidote? What's the antidote to this illness? What's the antidote to this virus of unbelief? Romans 2 verse 4. Don't you know that it is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. It is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. Second Peter, Second Peter, one verse four, by which He has granted us to His precious and very great promises, so that through them, through what? Through the promises. What do the promises say? Every promise tells you that God is good. So that through the promises, when you encounter the goodness of God, you will partake of your divine nature. The antidote to sinful desire is establishing yourself in the goodness of God. Amen. Beyond what I see, beyond what is coming against me, beyond what I see in the physical, all the enemies that have risen against me, I believe that God is good and His mercy endures forever. Amen. God is good, God is good, God is good, God is good. That's the only antidote. That's the only antidote. As you establish yourself in the goodness of God, you're operating in the law of aerodynamics. You know what's the law of aerodynamics? That will take you to flight. The law of aerodynamics is superior to the law of gravity. Somebody who's operating in the law of aerodynamics has to fly. There's no question of if he'll fly. The, quest the question is when he'll fly. It's not, it's not the question of if. I don't know if he'll fly or not. He will fly if he is operating in the law of aerodynamics. The question is when. As he stays in the law of aerodynamics, the law of aerodynamics beats the law of gravity and he starts flying. And as he starts flying, the law of gravity has no hold over his life. As, as you establish yourself in the goodness of God, you are operating in the law of spirit of life. The law of spirit of life has more power, is more superior to the law of sin and death. So as you operate in the law of the spirit of life, you take off and the law of sin and death has no, no, no power over your life. But it begins by you establishing yourself in the goodness of God. In the goodness of God. You know, you have to learn to personalize the promises for your life. You have to learn how to do that. The secret is there. All the promises are here. But you will have to learn how to personalize it for yourself. I'll tell you. I'll give you an instance. The other day, I just went through a cupboard and I opened a drawer one drawer I saw was full of Apple products boxes, just boxes of Apple products, okay? Full, like I saw four AirPods boxes, empty, they're all empty, okay? But the moment I saw that, you know what I thought? I was like, God, you're so good. Because there was a time when I desired for good MacBook. I wanted to do recording and I desired for a good MacBook and I didn't have the finances for it. But this time, like this is many years later when I opened now, I don't even have a desire to get a MacBook. But God has blessed me with so many things of excellent quality. So that instant, that picture, when I saw that picture, it made me 
acknowledge God's goodness. You know, it's like silly things. It could be, you know, once I started praising God because I saw the number of shoes that I have. But it begins like that. It's like a spark that can become a wildfire. See, you can say God is good, God is good, God is good all the time. But what is happening in your mind? You have to have a picture that personalizes with your life. If you can have a picture that personalizes with your life, you know, God is good. God has indeed been good. Has indeed been good. When I fight with my wife, you know what brings me back is I think about all those desperate times when I was a single. Single people, are you with me? Desperate times, lonely times. Oh God, please. <laughs> Give me a wife, oh God. I get reminded of that and I'm quickly, I reconcile with her. Because I'm the goodness of God. I'm, in, I'm established in the goodness of God. See, the thing is, we, we don't know what we have been blessed with. We forget, we forget so easily. That's why the Bible keeps on saying, remember. Remember. Remember His promises. You know, in, in, in the Old Testament, they would teach their children. Do you know what Abraham did? Do you know what God did through Abraham? Do you know what God did through Isaac? What they were doing was they were reminding their children of the goodness of God that happened in their life. We quickly forget. God has been good to you. I know that. God has been good to you in the past week. God has been good to you in the past years. But we quickly forget of what He has done. But if you can remind yourself... Bring it back to focus. Remember. See, God, you've been so good. You've been so good. Personalize His goodness in your mind. Think about all the good things that God has done. Man, He has blessed you. 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 God's goodness. Come on, be established in God's goodness. Because as long as you're established in God's goodness, sinful desire cannot have a hold over your life. Sin cannot have hold over you because you are in grace. You are in grace. Come on, I just want to give you this moment just to establish yourself in the goodness of God. Think of an instant. Think of an instant in your life or think about things or resources or whatever, whatever you can think of that, that symbolizes the goodness of God in your life, which is fresh. Dwell on that picture and then say, God, you are so good. God, you are so good. God, you are so good. I cannot stop thanking you. I cannot stop praising you because you are so good. You are so you're so good. You have so much blessed me. I'm so grateful. Oh, where was I five years ago and where am I today? Oh, Lord, you are so good. Oh, my life. My life has grown. Oh, you have blessed me. You have blessed the increase of my hands. You have blessed the work of my hands. You have blessed my creativity. You have blessed everything that I have. Lord, you are so good. You're so good.